If you have your copy of God's Word, I'd like you to, to go ahead and open up to uh, Colossians chapter 1. So we're Colossians chapter 1, we're verses 9 through 12. Um, so we're, we've been studying Colossians, and, and so we're on our third um, of our series of sermons on Colossians. And so I'm going to go ahead and pick up at verse 9. And I'm actually going to read through verse 14. So it says this. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. It says to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. God, my Father, uh, I am... I'm so thankful, Lord, to, uh, to, to be here, Father. And, and God, I, I pray, Lord, that you will do with me what, God, what man cannot do alone. God, that you will use me for your mouthpiece. God, that the words that I speak will um, just be a testimony to, to you, Father. God, that we would just relay this message, Father, of what you would like your saints to hear. God, I pray, Lord, that if there be one person that is not a believer here tonight or, or listening tonight, Father, God, if there be even just one, God, that you would, God, you'd slay their heart. God, my Father, that you would open their eyes. And God, for all the believers that are, that are hearing this tonight, Father, I pray, Lord, that, that you would give us the ability to submit to your word, Father, to believe it as truth. And God, to live it out. God, we know that we can only do that by your grace. God, we can only do that uh, by your Holy Spirit. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would send help now. God, we love you and we thank you. It's all in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So the last time that we met, and you know, we were talking about how Paul, um, you know, he loved the Colossian church. And the reason why he could love them and the reason why that really any of us could love each other and that he could love um, believers from all over and, and that he could pray for them was because of that hope that was laid up in heaven. You know, we spoke about, you know, how that, that hope of what is uh, our inheritance is that how that, that should be something that drives us and, uh, you know, that 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 hope, that same hope driven, um, you know, that it, would, that it would cause us to love in such a profound way. And so, so one thing that I would ask y'all, the church, is that has that same hope driven you these last past couple of weeks? Have, have you meditated on, you know, the hope that is laid up in heaven for you? Have you meditated on his word, on his goodness? And so... And we learned also that the Colossians, 
they heard about the gospel because of, you know, I'm going to say it like this, even though I don't even believe it like this, but a chance, a chance meeting. And of course, I don't believe it's really a chance meeting, but, but this encounter that Paul has with this man named Epaphras. So he meets this man who's from Colossae, and he preaches the gospel to him, and then this man goes back to his hometown, and he starts this church. He starts telling others about this good news that he's heard. You know, and I was, you know, I was on, <laughs> Brother Tony was picking at me about, you know, um, he said, man, you've been, been going crazy on Facebook lately. <laughs> and uh, I was on Facebook, and I saw a quote of, um, you know, um, the SBC president, you know, J.D. Greer. He put a quote about, you know, the scripture about the 99 and the 1, you know, the, the lost sheep. And, and I was just thinking about that quote, and it led me to, you know, put a quote up. And, uh, and I, I feel like I got to explain it because a couple of the people that I asked about it, I was like, you know, sometimes you need to, you need to ask before you post. But... But I, I wasn't sure if everybody understood the, the way that I, that I intended that quote. But this is what I said in that quote. If the 99, you know, the 99 sheep that aren't lost, aren't out in search for the one, then we're doing discipleship wrong. And, and what I mean by that is that, that God's chosen instrument to go to the lost world is the church. And, and so, so we as his sheep, if, if our purpose, you know, as a church is to not go out and find the one, to go out and, and search for the lost, then, then we're doing discipleship wrong. And so, and so that, that should be, you know, our drive. And I, and I started thinking about, you know, how Paul had this encounter with this man and how this man takes it back to his home and how he, you know, through, through him, God starts this church. And now here Paul is writing to this church in Colossae. You know, and, and if it wasn't for, and a lot of y'all, you know, probably know my story, and, and I, but I was talking to Russell last week, and, you know, it's so funny. I've told my story so many times that, you know, I, I don't, I forget who knows it and who doesn't. And, um, and I started talking to Russell, and he had never heard that part of my story about how this chance encounter with this man at a McDonald's with me, you know, really had, it played such an instrumental part of my life in, in leading me to the faith, you know, really leading me to a real faith. I mean, I thought I was saved. And, but yet this man, for the first time in my life, South Mississippi, you know, a stranger, I mean, I heard the gospel, no telling how many times, but I had never had a stranger walk up to me and tell me the gospel. Until then, I was 21 years old. And there I was working in McDonald's and, and he and his wife, you know, had been in and he left out and he came back in about 15 minutes later. And uh, he said, look, I never do this. We were seven or eight miles down the road and, and um, and he made his wife turn around and come back and talk to me. And that conversation, he has no clue, I'm sure, how instrumental that conversation was in my life. 
I wouldn't know him if I saw him. But he had such a huge impact. And so, so as we go through our lives, we need to, we need to be um, aware of how important each day is, of how important each encounter is, and, and how we need to be ready at the moment's notice um, to, to share God's word with someone. And so, so here we are, and, and we're going to go through you know, some of these verses uh, one by one that, that I open with. So verse 9, it, he talks about it. He doesn't, he says that they have not ceased to pray. And so we see these different, you know, scripture throughout, um, you know, that tell us to pray continually, you know, without ceasing. And being, you know, that, that lead us to believe that, that we should be in this constant state of prayer. And, you know, that's First Thessalonians 5, 7, 17 that says pray without ceasing. Now, obviously, Paul and Jesus and, you know, all these disciples, they, they ate and slept. It wasn't like that they were praying nonstop. Okay, so we know that, that they, they did many things. I mean, Paul studied and he debated and Paul made tents and, you know, that he did other things. But I believe the heart of what this verse is saying is that, you know, since he's heard about this church, that day and night, you know, as he goes to prayer, that he remembers them in prayer, that they're on his mind. And that, and that as we go through our lives, as we go through our days, that, that being in a constant state of prayer is that meditation on his word, meditating on God. Being ready to pray at a moment's notice. Constant, constant uh, conversation with God. Him speaking to us through His Word. Us speaking to Him in prayer. And so, and so here in 2 Timothy 1.3, listen to what Paul says in this letter to Timothy. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. So he's telling Timothy, you know, I remember you in my prayers. And so, so one of the things that, that we need to also be aware of is that, that our prayer life should be just that. And we've talked about that many times in here, a constant prayer. Uh, but also that we would pray for our brothers and sisters. You know, that we have, you know, I think about the different contacts that, that we've made as a church. You know, the contacts we've made in different states. You know, the different... Um, you know, the different churches that we've, you know, really become a part of as our brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, in the Delta, in South Dakota, in Haiti, um, the, the people that I met that were believers in China. And I'm, and I'm thinking, okay, well, how often do I pray for those people? How often do I pray for, for you as my, you know, church family? And, and cause Paul is, Paul seems to be in all these letters as he's, greeting these churches that he is encouraging them by letting them know that they are so important to him that he prays for them you know that he goes to the father on their behalf who do you go to the father on their behalf for so first response though that we see for instance with uh, nehemiah in Nehemiah 1.4, when Nehemiah learned of the condition of Jerusalem, Jerusalem's you know, walls have been broken down at this point and their gates have been destroyed. 
And what is Nehemiah's first response? His first response is to pray. And, and, I, and I wonder about that too. Is that being in a constant state of prayer? That when, when something comes up like that, what's our first response? I know that many times my first response is to try to handle a situation that I know I can't even handle. And, um, you know, they're so big and, and, and for me, a lot of times so confusing on what the next step should be. And a lot of times I just head into it, you know, headlong. Or it paralyzes me. Sometimes I feel paralyzed by the situation. And so it, usually it's one or the other. And, and I, you know, to be honest, I'm, I'm uh, embarrassed to say that a lot of times it's not my first response. You know, here, here the walls of Jerusalem torn down, the gates destroyed, and Nehemiah, he doesn't, you know, go and say, oh, let's rebuild right away. His first response is, this is too big for me. You know, his first response is to go to God. And so, so here is our hearts and our minds are on God. You know, if our hearts and our minds are on God, that we will worship and praise him. That, that's our response. I mean, I know that that's so simple, but when we think of Him and His goodness, we will praise Him. In all of our senses, we should do this. We should practice this in all of our senses. What I mean by that, you know, how we see, hear, taste, smell, and touch and feel, you know, that, that we would not be enamored with the creation, but rather the Creator. I'll take, for instance, sight, seeing something, seeing a beautiful uh, rainbow that reminds us of his promise. But also, you know, if you were to see a hazard in a road and it causes you to slow down and swerve and miss that hazard, those things are worthy of his praise. Sight, what he gives us that can cause us to be enamored by his creation, but also the eyes that he gives us that can help us avoid danger. Hearing. To hear uh, the beautiful song of, of the birds, the sound of a waterfall, or to hear a siren that lets you know, you know, to take cover that the storm's coming. Those things are worth our praise to God. Taste. Whether it's like a taste of a perfectly cooked steak or the taste of poison on your mouth and you spit it out before, before it's too late. Those things should cause us to praise God. All the things that we experience should all go back to focusing on, on the one who gave us these, these senses in the first place. Smell. Whether it's the smell of, of bacon frying in the pan, and I'm thinking on that one, I could have used bacon for all these senses, you know? Or the smell of freshly picked flowers. That's not really my thing, but I know a lot of people like smell of flowers. Or if it's the smell of smoke that warns you to escape the flames. You know, that all these things 
we should go back to praising God for. Feeling, touch. Whether it's the feel of a, mo a mother or a father's touch when your world is crashing down. Or whether it's the, um, the touch of the drill at the dentist. You know, when, they, when, when all of a sudden you can feel it and you're not supposed to. And you're not Brian Means and can't just sit there and take it without anesthesia. <laughs> and so it, you let them know, hold on. I can feel that. You're going to have to give me another shot. <laughs> Those things are all things that, that we ought to praise God for. And so, so as we pray to Him, we're reminded by His Word that we should pray confidently. Not in that He will give us what we want, but confidently in His ability and His character to give us what we need. You know that every single thing that He gives us is a good gift. Whether we realize it at the time or not, but it is a blessing to His children. He's only going to give good gifts to His children. Sometimes it comes in the form of discipline, to be honest. But, but those are good things. We would say it's a good gift when we discipline our children and it corrects their behavior. Corrects their direction. The route they're taking in life. Those are good things. And, uh, and so he is definitely the blesser of his children. You know, it's, it's not wrong to pray for earthly circumstances. It's not wrong. We're to go to him about all things. Whether it be food or provision or health, etc. The list goes on and on. We're supposed to bring it all to him. He is our father and he does care. But it also probably reveals, and I want y'all to listen closely on this, it probably reveals something about our spiritual state and our priorities if we're praying more about those things, earthly things, and less about more spiritual matters. And to be honest, the, the prayer that we see Paul, if you, if you look at Paul's prayers throughout, and he's, how he's praying for these churches, his prayers are so doctrinally sound because what Paul is after more than anything else, does he want them to be healthy? Yes, unless they need to be sick so that they would turn to God through their sickness. Does he want them to have food? Yes, unless they need to go without so that they would learn to depend on God the Father. What Paul is concerned about more than any other thing, as you read it, as you read these words, these very words that we started with, he's worried about their understanding. He's worried about their discernment. He's worried about their spiritual condition. That's what Paul's worried about in his own life as well. That he's more concerned about the spiritual matters because he knows that those spiritual matters or really, when it boils down to it, it's the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that matters. And so, and so as we pray, as we pray for people, it's not wrong to pray. Look, y'all don't, 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 don't get this twisted around. It's not wrong to pray for healing for the sick. It's right to pray for healing of the sick. But how is our balance off? Are we praying more for the healing of the physical sick than the spiritual? And, and if so, why? 
Why is it that we spend more time praying for physical healing than spiritual? Isn't that, isn't that odd if we do that? that? That it would seem like that the church, that more than anything else, that we would pray that people's eyes be open to the truth that would save their life, not for a year, two years, 80 years, and then they die. And then for what? To go to hell if, they don't, if their spiritual matters are not taken care of? If they're not saved? And so, and so here we must make sure that as a people that we don't, that we don't um, prioritize it wrong. So here, um, also in verse 9, praying that they would be filled with knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Oh my, we need that in our, our day, don't we? I mean, I need to start praying that more for myself and our church and for all believers that we would be filled with knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Not knowing is really tough on us, isn't it? We want to know. We want to know everything or as much as possible. You know, we struggle with the unknown. But there's so much that, that, um, that I believe that God holds back for reasons. But there's so much that he's given us that we won't search out. There's so many answers to questions that we have that he has revealed. That he hasn't kept hidden. And so, and so for instance, what does, what does knowing his will mean? You know, is it unknowable? Are there some kind of secrets of life that, uh, that God is not sharing with us? You know, uh, I heard a, a preacher talking about it, you know, uh, just yesterday I was watching a sermon and he was, and he was speaking of that, that it's, um, you know, he, he's heard these different different books and different ser sermons and he said look stay away from it if you ever see this where the secret of you know fill in the blank you know of this of living you know this type of Christian life and um, he said you got to beware of people who claim to know something that no other Christians know like this is some kind of big secret like something God's only given them and not the rest of us that's a warning. We, we ought to take a warning to that. Because here, um, you know, it, what the church, I'm not going to go too deep into this because this is going to come later when we're, as we're talking about the Colossian church. But they're, they're, um, they're being attacked with heresies at this time by people who have infiltrated the church. And it's early what, what we know now. Y'all probably heard of the term Gnosticism or the Gnostics. And so it was the early Gnostics. And, and they claimed to have this knowing. They believed they had this secret um, that God had given them this secret understanding that, you know, the rest of the apostles didn't have, that the rest of the church wasn't privy to. That God had spoken to them. And there's, there's still a lot of that that goes on today. And like I said, I'm not going to stay on that too long because that's, that's for another night. But, but we have to be really weary 
of when someone claims to know something that God has given them because he's, cause, well, I'll, I'll just read some scripture. I don't, I, he's given his word to us. And so everything that, that, that we need to know is here. And so, so and, that, and that's, a, uh, that's to make sure that we don't follow down a wrong path. But listen to what the Word of God says in Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. You know, God's not hidden Himself. He's revealed everything that He wants to reveal to us, His children. And so, so now we are blinded to it until our eyes are open to this. Now, and what I want y'all to understand is, is that, I mean, for me, I read this, I read through this book when I was in high school a couple times, and I still didn't understand it. It wasn't until he opened my eyes to it. So the mystery is Christ. The mystery is in this book, and it all points to Christ. He is the mystery. And so if there's, if there's someone out there who's trying to tell you that, that they know this mystery that the rest of the church isn't aware of, be very careful as to where they're leading you. Listen to what Isaiah 11, 1 and 2 says. And, and, and to me, this is pointing to all things we need are found in the Lord Christ Jesus. But listen to what it says. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse... And a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the Lord. Now this scripture is a messianic prophecy from Isaiah. So written hundreds of years before Jesus Christ, but written about Jesus Christ. And, and listen what it's saying. It's saying that, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest on Him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding shall rest on Him. The Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge. And if you look at Paul's words where he's talking about you know, knowing God's will and the understanding and the wisdom. So what is that? And it, and it talks about you know, the, the mystery of the gospel. It all is about Christ. It's what, it's what Paul couldn't see until the road of Damascus when he struck blind and, and then God, he, he ends up peeling the scales off of his eyes and then Paul could see. He could see what he couldn't see all that time. That was right before him all that time. It's that Christ is the mystery. Is the gospel. And so here, Psalm 145, 18 says, the Lord is near to all who call on Him. To all who call on Him in truth. He's not hiding Himself. It's not just for some believers. That some are privy to this information and you need to listen to them. His Word is available. He is available. James 4.8 Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. You know, wisdom is the ability to apply knowledge correctly. Y'all think about that. That's what he's, 
He wants us to have that spiritual wisdom. So not, not just to be full of knowledge. If we're just full of knowledge, we're missing it. If we're just full of knowledge, we become like the Pharisees. Being full of knowledge is the first step, but then how do you apply that knowledge? How does, how does it look in your life? And so, so wisdom is the ability to apply the knowledge correctly. Understanding is to be able to tell the difference between right and wrong, between true and false. And that's what he's saying, that he is going to, that's what Paul's praying for for them, that they be able to see that. The difference between, you know, spiritual truth and, and this, the false teachers that were among them. That's what Paul is praying for them. And that we need to understand that that very same thing is going on today. That he is praying for their spiritual wisdom. In 1 Corinthians 1, starting with verse 26, it says this. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Man, I think about the, the 12 disciples. Wow. I mean, what a group of outcasts is a motley crew but it was the ones that god chose and and look he says god chose what's foolish in the world to shame the wise god chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong god chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of god And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Y'all remember when, like, Paul thought he was all that before conversion. He was on his way up. We talked about him. I mean, he was prestigious. And then, and then after his conversion, he looks back at what he had and what does he call it? It was rubbish. It was trash. All that he had lived his life for. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. It is Christ who is the wisdom. Righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Now think about it. With our minds on Jesus, we will preach Jesus, won't we? With our minds on the world, we're going to preach the world. You know, our hearts, if our hearts are on our worries, we're going to preach our worries to the world, won't we? That's what we will do. Without submitting to his word as truth, you know what we'll do? If we don't submit to his word as truth, we will preach our opinions. That's what we'll do. As we meditate on our forgiveness, we will offer our forgiveness. As we harbor resentment, we will only be able to muster up revenge and hate. 
It's what we will do. But with our hearts focused on Jesus, our prayers will be aligned to His will. In verse 10, it says this. It talks about walking in a manner worthy of our Lord. Now, how, how do we walk in a manner worthy of our Lord? I went through uh, last year, we went through the Fruit of the Spirit series. And here it tells us how you walk worthy of the Lord by bearing fruit and increasing in the knowledge of God. Bearing fruit and increasing in the knowledge of God. So look, knowledge of God is not bad. It's just when you don't apply it, right? So when, it, when it's not wisdom, if it's just knowledge and then it stops. So we never need to get to a point where we think that, that in our Bibles is a waste of time. That is a lie. In our Bibles is not a waste of time. That we think that listening to a sermon is a waste of time. No, it's not a waste of time. Those things only become a waste of time if we don't practice what we're preaching to ourselves and being preached to. But they're also essential in living out the faith. Because if, if we're not getting preached to, if we're not getting His Word, then where is it coming from? What is the fruit that's coming out if it's not coming from God? So if it's not coming from His instruction, whose instruction is it coming from? So it means it's bad fruit anyway. So you can't have one without the other. If you want good fruit, then you've got to have the knowledge to produce it. But you don't just want knowledge. You want to produce it. Okay, so we can't have just one. We have to have truth in action. Truth in action has to happen. So as we walk out this life, we should walk in a manner that is pleasing to our Lord. So what's pleasing to Him? Bearing fruit and increasing in knowledge. Increasing in knowledge of the Lord. Some want one without the other. Jesus makes it plain in His conversation with the woman at the well that it is both spirit and truth. It is both spirit and truth as to worship Him. That is the way. Bearing fruit in every good work. This is what Charles Spurgeon has to say about it. I love this quote. Fruitful in every good work. Here is room and range enough in every good work. Have you the ability to preach the gospel? Preach it. Does a little child need comforting? Comfort it. Can you stand up and vindicate a glorious truth before thousands? Do it. Does a poor saint need a bit of dinner from your table? Send it to her. Let works of obedience, testimony, zeal, charity, piety, and philanthropy all be found in your life. Do not select big things as your special line. But glorify the Lord also in the littles. Fruitful in every good work. Truth in action. Our truth is meaningless if we do not act. We become hypocrites to the world if we do not love. In verse 11, it says that we are strengthened. That's what he's praying for. He's praying for their strength. 
for endurance and patience. And then he adds with joy. I love that. He gives us power, spiritual power directly from God. This power is there for our endurance and our patience. And I think about it this way. Why do we need endurance? For when we want to quit, right? When we're ready to give up. Because our flesh wants to give up. Why do we need endurance? For when we want to quit. Why do we need patience? To be honest with you, when everybody else wants to quit around us, we need patience. So we need both endurance and we need patience. We need patience for the people around us that are so frustrated and they falter and they stumble. We need patience. And we need endurance for ourselves when we stumble and we're wanting to give up. But it says with joy that Christ, the, the, the walk that he is asking us to follow, follow after him. He set his gaze upon the cross with joy. We can do the same as we carry our cross. We can do that with joy. Tony talks about it. Brian talks about it too. And I've talked about it too. It doesn't always mean that there's going to be a smile on our face. To be honest, I mean, I think we ought to do it more. Because as we think on the things of God, it ought to bring, it ought to bring a smile. It ought to bring laugh, laughter and, and, and true joy. But we know that this life is full of trials and tribulations. And it's not always going to look pretty. But as we hold on to the truth of the gospel, that as we endure and we're patient, because God gives us that strength, that we can do so with joy. If he can set his gaze upon the cross with joy, endure the cross, then we can do the same because it is he who lives in us. And then verses 12 through 14, as we close. Think about this. It says he, quali he qualifies to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Qualifies. He qualifies the unqualified. We were not qualified, but yet he makes us qualified. I told you, he took that motley crew of disciples, and that's the ones that he chose to qualify. That so many times, and I know that my, my brothers who take this pulpit too, that they feel the same way. So many times, and I know you feel the same way, maybe not as far as taking a pulpit, but, but just, just in sharing the gospel. So many times I know you feel unqualified. So many times I, I feel like I don't deserve to step in this pulpit. And I know that it's at those moments that that's probably when I'm most close to qualified. Because I know that in those moments that I, I realize I'm not worthy and that, and that it is only by His grace that I can stand up here and preach His truth. It's in those moments that I realize how broken I am and how much I have to depend on and rely on Him. It is in my weakness. It is in my weakness that His strength is displayed to the world. And so, so when you are feeling weak and you are feeling unqualified remember who your qualifier is you are qualified not of what you've done but what jesus christ has done 
and what he's bought for you. He has bought an inheritance for you that is incomparable to any of the riches and all of the riches that this world has to offer. For all the riches of all time, all the joy, all the laughs that you can muster up in this whole existence of this earth, every single person couldn't come close to what we will experience as our inheritance when we get to meet our Savior, our Redeemer, our Messiah face to face. It cannot compare to the glory that is, that awaits us in heaven. That inheritance is ours because of a great transfer that it talks about here. Did y'all catch it? We're delivered from a domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Redemption. Like that's the greatest miracle of them all. It's, it's hard to think until you really start to think of your own depravity. What I mean by that is that, that we of ourselves would never, would never search after Him. Because the Bible calls us enemies, children of wrath. And it, it doesn't just say that. It says we're dead. We're dead men and dead women walking. So when I think about it, when I think about that scene in, in Ezekiel 37 with the valley of the dry bones. And Ezekiel is told by God to preach to those dead bones. That is the miracle. That's exactly what happens to us. It's what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus. He was a dead man. He was all bound up by the law thinking that he could obtain his own salvation. Thinking that he could be good enough. He was a dead man. He had no clue he needed Jesus. He thought he could do it on his own. You and I were dead. The greatest miracle that's ever happened in our lives that is unexplainable is how the God of the universe who gave us life, life to a people that all we did is reject him over and over, that he would offer grace, open our eyes and cause us to see that he would give life to the dead men and women and that he would not just forgive us, that he would propitiate that He would not just forgive our sins and let us walk free, but that we would become children of His. That we would become sons and daughters. And not only that, that because of this redemption that we now have, that now our mission to the world, that we have been reconciled, that we've been reconciled to the Father, that now our mission to the world is that we would be ambassadors of this great reconciliation for the rest of the world. That is our call. That should be our prayer. Is our, are our prayers too small? How big is Paul's prayer here? Where he's asking for their spiritual wisdom. Where he is asking for the Lord to bear fruit and increase their knowledge where he is asking for them to have endurance and patience, but to do so 
with joy and where he reminds them that they have gone from children of darkness to children of light. For if that's you today, if you have become, if you have gone from a children of darkness to a child of light, my, shouldn't our prayer be that others would have the same? That should drive our prayer life. That God would send laborers and that we would be one of them. And if you, if you find yourself tonight where you have never believed the true gospel, where you have never repented from your sins, or you have thought that it was about your goodness, then I pray that God will convince your soul to follow His mercy tonight because He is ready and willing to offer you mercy and grace. He is faithful as you confess your sins to Him to forgive those sins. But follow and seek the Master, the Lord of all creation. He is to be your Master, your Lord. Let us pray. God, my Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word, your truth, God. God, I thank you for these words that were written to the church in Colossae, but also written to us, Father. God, I pray, Lord, that you spoke directly to each heart tonight. God, I know that you have slayed mine. God, I pray, Lord, that our prayers would be much grander. God, that our prayers would focus on your kingdom, Father, growing your kingdom. God, I pray, Lord, that, that you would slay each heart, Father, where it needs to be slain. And encourage and build up each heart that needs to be encouraged and built up. I pray all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.